What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Yesy.com podcast, season one, episode two. This episode is called Lost Angeles. If you follow me on Yesy.com on my Instagram page, you'll notice, you know, you'll get to know me a little bit more for those of you who don't already follow me, but you'll get to learn that on my story, I post a lot of polls. I ask a lot of questions. I just am trying to engage and talk to you guys and see what y'all are interested in because you know, I'm trying to put some shit out there that's useful and relatable and that can help my audience because, you know, even if I didn't experience a certain experience, I sure as hell will find other people that have experienced certain things and bring them on the show and talk about shit or just do my research, you know, to give you what y'all need. Um, for example, like postpartum real quick, I did a poll on my sc.com Instagram, like I had mentioned. Okay. And there were four topics that I put on there. I said, which topic would you like for me to, you know, cover next? Y'all, relationships was first. Domestic violence was second. Los Angeles, my life in LA was third. And then I think the last one was postpartum. I've never had kids. I've never, ever had kids come out of my vagina. Okay. So I don't know what postpartum depression is like. And this is why I put it out there because I know y'all are very interested, you know, in that topic, but don't worry. There are five women I'm going to sit down with and talk about this to put that, um, awareness out there for all the moms who have gone through it and maybe don't feel like they've had like a support system, you know, we got you. Uh, but you know, I felt like even though Los Angeles, Los Angeles, my life in LA was the third topic, you know, the most popular one you guys voted on was, uh, relationships. Um, LA was the third one, but I feel like I need to start with my life in LA really because it molded me. LA really molded me into this fucking person that I am today. I'm not going to lie. I moved there in 2006 when I graduated from Johansson high school and you know, I fucking don't know. Like I'm so thankful for my parents, honestly, like, fuck, you know, and they just believed in me. We didn't always have a lot of money. I'm sure a lot of y'all can relate. I was the first one in the family to go off to college. Fuck, it's just a lot, you know, and I'm so thankful that they gave me, again, that opportunity because I got to experience life the, you know, the most beautiful parts and a lot of fucking ugly evil shit too in LA. Like, goddamn, I had no friends, really no family over there. Well, no friends at all to begin with. I've made, um, and built relationships like long lasting relationships there. But in the beginning I didn't have not one fucking friend, no family. That shit was scary. I fucked up a lot out there, you know, tried ecstasy for the first time, did cocaine for the first time, did prescription medication, was addicted to pills for the first time in my life. Um, first time I got hit in the face by a man, like all kinds of shit, you know, so many things that I really don't think that one episode could cover, you know, but we're just going to go with the flow. So in 2006, right, when I graduated high school, my parents allowed me to move to Los Angeles and they supported the fuck out of me. And at the time my school was called California design college. It was in Koreatown on Wilshire Boulevard. Uh, Wilshire Boulevard is like the biggest, longest strip in LA. A lot of you may be familiar with it, but anyway, I was in K town. It was like Wilshire and Normandy area. 
by the train, by the subway or, or by the metro, I should say. And I live, my first apartment was on Catalina and third. <laughs> Fuck, you know, that shit was rough. Um, that shit was rough. No car, um, not really like much money saved, but you know, I was out there fucking doing it. You know what I mean? And my parent, I had my parents support, thank God. But I went to school for fashion design. I went to school for fine arts. Um, I went there actually, I didn't even finish school to be honest with you. I didn't end up finishing school. Um, I learned a lot of shit, you know, I learned how to paint, I learned how to draw, I learned illustrator, I learned how to use Excel, like all these cool fucking things, you know, I learned how to make outfits on the fucking computer and pattern making and all this shit, you know, enhanced my sewing skills, um, and all of these things, but I had a lot, a little, a lot of fun, a little too much fucking fun in LA. I mean, I was, I had a fake ID, I remember one of the first clubs I was, you know, allowed in with my fake ID, who I got from the valet. <laughs> hey, Suze, the valet. Hey, Suze is the one who uh, gave me my first fake ID. I was this um, woman. Her name was Mariana Oganizian. She must have been like Armenian or something, but I memorized everything on that fucking ID. She was like, I don't know, mid twenties. And listen again, I was like 18, 19 years old going to fucking LAX. That's what the club was called on Las Palmas off of Hollywood. LAX used to be the fucking shit. You guys. Um, I remember like back in the day that was when like Lindsay Lohan was a hot mess. She was out there partying fucking Steve Aoki before he became fucking big. Steve Aoki used to DJ there. That shit was dope. Um, we used to see LMFAO there when they got started. That shit was so fucking dope, man. Those just good fucking times, you know? And I remember there was this bartender named David. Oh my God, he was so fucking sexy. He looked like Native American, big, bald, fucking handsome motherfucker. I swear to God, he always took care of us at the bar. Um, and then Jesus, the guy who gave me my fake ID, he always took care of us at ballet too. That man, we got, we were treated like queens there, my friends and I, and my friends that went to school with me, they were 21 and over, but I, I wasn't, you know? And so we would go fucking party. Honestly, sometimes in LA, I would party all fucking week. Like there, there's something going on every day. I mostly partied Monday through Friday. Um, and then we just like drink more beer. I, I miss the fuck out of some classes. I mean, <sighs> yeah, I got kicked out of a couple apartments in student housing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I fucked up a lot, but it's okay. You know what I mean? I'm fucking here. I'm doing the damn thing. But anyway, back to me fucking up. <laughs> I was going out a lot, you guys. Honestly, my first like two years in LA, I was going in hard, like heavy on the drinking. Um, and then once I popped ecstasy for the first time in like 2007, late 2006, early 2007, um, then I started doing that more, popping pills more, um, getting into relationships, drinking more, um, fuck, you know, but it's all good. Um, learned a lot, learned, you know, who I don't want to be really looking back at it. And honestly, I met a lot of great people during those times because even though some of those people put me in bad situations, like it also taught me who I don't want to fucking be around. Um, but, you know, L.A. was wonderful. I still am friends with a lot of people out there. Um, Jesus. Since I didn't finish school, 
Part of it was because I was in a relationship with the Marine. I know. I don't think I could ever date anybody in the military again that has PTSD. I'm sorry. Like, thank you for your service. But this girl has PTSD of her own by dealing with other motherfuckers. PTSD. That shit is real. Like, goddamn, I did my service. Shit. I was serving these motherfuckers um, for five years. This motherfucker for five years. I was with them. Shit. Um... I was with someone in the military. I met him, I want to say, in like 2007, uh, July 3rd to be exact. I still remember the day that we met. Uh, We met July 2nd, but in July 3rd, we were in San Diego at Pacific Beach. Um, My friend, her boyfriend, his name was Josh. And anyway, his friend Josh that I ended up hooking up with, who was the Marine, they were both Josh's, but anyway, we met them out there for like 4th of July weekend. Um, slept with him like literally a day after I met him. <laughs> I know it was a little hooch. Um, anyway, we were dating like seriously after that for a while and ended up being turning out to be like a five year fucking relationship, you know, with that guy. He was from Boston, very sexy, he had the whole Boston accent. He honestly looked like Mark Wahlberg. If I could compare him to anybody, he looked like a jacked fucking Mark Wahlberg. That guy was in such great shape. Um, but anyway, I moved a lot. You know, I was still in SoCal. You know, I was still in SoCal a little bit, moving around, you know, long distance relationship with him. I was still in LA, but um, he was in the Marines. So he was, oh, he was deployed like three three, he had like three deployments while we were together for like those five years. And, you know, there was a lot of cheating involved. Um, I was so heartbroken when, uh, a girl like was in the background, he accidentally answered his phone and there was some broad in the background. And that was the first time I learned that, you know, he was with other women. Um, and so that shit got rough after that. And that's when I, left him for a little bit. And then I went back to LA. I forget what year, to be honest with you, but I lived in the desert for a little bit in 29 Palms, um, for a little bit. And then I ended up moving back to LA. It was just kind of a shit show at the time. I I was still very young. I had let my parents know, like, I'm going to drop out of school because I'm going to follow this guy and I love him and all this fucking corny bullshit. Whoo! If anything, let me tell you, I chose to talk to my dad first because I don't know why at the time, like I felt like I was getting a lot of support from my father and I felt, I found it easier to talk to my dad at that time. And I talked to my dad and I said, dad, like I'm going to be with this guy. I'm moving. And at first, like he was like, okay, but, uh, shit the next day. Cause I knew he had talked to my mom. <sighs> they let me have it and they cut me off. You know what I mean? For a little bit. Like my parents were helping me financially. So I was like, the month and Ned, like, is he going to maintain you? Is he going to do this and that and this and that? And I was like, yeah, like, yeah, he is, you know? And, um, he did, you know, he took care of me and shit, but I lost myself for a little bit during that time. I wasn't doing what made me happy. I was just being there. I was like a support system for this guy, you know? Anyway, fast forward. Um, so I lived in 29 Palms. I lived in Temecula for a little bit. Um, but again, I always still had a a place in LA to go back to. Um, and then, you know, he got, uh, accepted to go into like special operations in uh, Camp Lejeune in North Carolina. So then 
uh, I moved with him to Wilmington, North Carolina. It was a beautiful little town, but I moved with him over there. Oh my God. That place was really beautiful and all, but it was so lonely. I was so depressed out there. You guys, I was working at the independent small. Okay. Getting paid like fucking shit, like $7 an hour part-time. You know what I mean? Yes, he gave me his credit cards. Like, he was supporting me financially. I mean, of course, duh, I fucking moved and left everything to come be with you. But it wasn't really worth it, honestly. I wasn't in, I didn't have my independence. Um, I relied on him a lot for a lot of things. I, again, I was lonely. He was deployed. He was gone a lot, uh, gone a lot um, in Atlanta. I think it was Georgia uh, for training and then back to the camp and being in the military, being with someone in the military, you guys, like, it is so fucking hard. Like, it is so hard. You literally sacrifice. Like, these women that are with these men, married to these men, they sacrifice their lives also to be with these men and to support them. You know, it's no fucking joke. Um, it's very intense. Um, anytime that he was deployed, it fucking sucked. Man, his shit is so, like, uh, heartbreaking you know you could just write letters to each other and fucking talk on a satellite phone for a certain amount of time it was it was hard you know no sex fuck you know but anyway I was in Wilmington North Carolina and let's see it was like being a part of Beverly Hills Housewives but in North Carolina I didn't have any friends once again and you know, it was so weird, so weird. And you know, these are all like white women out there at the time that I was like around and I was only like brown skinned girl, like super dressed up. I was like the youngest one out of all of them with no kids. So I was totally like judged because anytime, listen again, oh yeah, the men, they would like set up these meetings for the women to like get together. None of us fucking knew each other, to be honest with you. Like we were all just getting together because we had the same shit in common. Like, oh, we're only here for our men. So might as well get together with these bitches and like, hide hell, you know, let's fucking party or let's go out to lunch. Like whatever. Fake shit. It was horrible. I didn't fit in this crowd. I felt neglected. I was like, you know, these bitches fucked with me a little bit, honestly. And I cried one night because they stood me up and gave me wrong information and ended up going to another place. These girls were fucking bitches. Anyway, I stood there for a little bit. And then honestly, one night we had dinner and I said, you know what, Josh, like I see myself like doing this and this and that. I want to pursue my dreams. At the time, my friend George, he still lives in uh, uh, New York. I think he's in Brooklyn. Um, but George was out there. George was working for like Vogue. Um, he, I feel like George is like the only real one who followed a career in fashion. But I think he, I don't know what he's doing now. I haven't talked to that motherfucker in a minute, but he's still my friend. I fucking love George. He's from Guatemala. We went to school together, but George at the time, he's like, dude, fucking come out here to New York with me. Like, you know what the fuck are you doing in Wilmington, North Carolina? Like fucking come to New York. I'll get you a job, you know, in fashion. And I'm like, you know, talking to my man about it. And we were at dinner. I forget. We were at this like Italian little restaurant and I explained to him that, I wanted to go to New York and pursue a career, you know, still in fashion. Um, and that I would be like with my friend George and he knew George, you know what I mean? Um, and he told me no straight up. He was like, no, like I really need you to be there for me. Like you, 
I need you to help me like just be there for me, be my support system. And then when I retire, we can focus on your dreams. That's exactly what he told me. He's probably almost close to being retired. This man, I'm going to be 34. So he was, he'll probably be retired in the next two years, but he was, he was set to retire by 40, like 39. I don't know how old he is right now. Anyway, by 39. And I was like, what? Like I started crying. I started crying at the dinner table in public because I was like, wow, like this is really not going to work. I'm really going to have to leave this man. He doesn't love me. Like, you know, how are you going to tell someone, put your dreams on hold because you have to be there for me. That is so selfish. After all of the deployments, after all the sacrifices that I made, like, what? You can't support me in my dreams while I support you in your dreams? Like, that doesn't seem right. So on April 29th, it's actually my oldest sister's birthday. Gabby, it's your birthday. April 29th, I forget what year, maybe 2011, 2012, um, I decided to call it quits. I packed up my bags as I was packing, he was like throwing shit away. He threw my suitcase against the wall. He didn't want me to leave. He wanted control. But as much as it hurt me to leave that relationship, I knew that it just wasn't for me anymore because he wasn't, he didn't care about my dreams. He was more like, you know, very selfish. Anyway, I packed up. He didn't want me to stay at the apartment or in the townhome we were living in in Wilmington. So this motherfucker had me pack up all of my shit, everything, everything, art supplies, everything, and had a bellboy, okay, help me bring it up at the Hilton where he put me. He put me in a fucking hotel and booked me a flight to LA and cut me a check for $500. And that was it. That was it. After five years of me making sacrifices, long distance, three deployments, all this stuff that I put in, like, because I really did love him. Like, I don't know why else I would do these things and, you know, drop out of fucking school because like, I love someone. I was just, I was kind of stupid. I'm not going to lie, but I did all these things and I was so shocked that I was treated this way. And I left. I mean, I, I, you know, he got put me in the hotel, but you better fucking believe I ordered hella room service. I ordered like the fattest fucking steak. At the time I was drinking, you know, I don't drink anymore. In January uh, 2023, it'll be three years for me being sober. Ow. But, you know, at the time I ordered hella room service. I ordered cheesecake, Coca-Cola, bottles of wine. I'm going to have a fucking feast before I get on that motherfucking plane tomorrow. And I did. And I got on the plane and I was in LA, you know, later on that evening and stayed with my friend until I was able to get back on my feet, really. Um, but I was back in LA, you know, I was back in LA. I don't even think I told my parents what happened right away, you know, cause I didn't, I was probably scared of being judged or like, you know, scared of them telling me to go home. Cause I didn't want to come back to Modesto. Like I knew my time wasn't done in LA. Like I knew that there was still more for me to fucking do. Like, you know, 
So I was in LA and I met Sean. Sean, he is my ex-boyfriend that died of an overdose. Um, Sean and I had a very complicated relationship. Um, he was kind of like a rebound after Josh. Um, I love Sean. I have a lot of love for Sean. You know, I miss him very much. I used to say that I hated the fuck out of him. I hated him. I hated him. I hated him. You know, um, him and I, you know, we got into some physical altercations, mostly, you know, the first time I ever been hit by a man was Sean. Um, and I, I hurt him pretty bad too. He, you know, I fucking sent his ass to the hospital on his birthday one year. He thought that I was dressing sexy on his birthday to show off like my body in front of his friends. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like I'm doing this for me, you know, like that's crazy. Um, but he was drunk. A lot of alcohol was involved and I try to leave. I remember that night and, um, I was in the bathroom and he was like blocking me. Like he would always block me every time I try to leave. And you know, um, he slapped the fuck out of me quite a few times. Like, I remember I had a black guy. LAPD came. People heard me yelling. It was, you know, his friends left. I remember his friends left, too. But he was upset because he was telling me, like, hey, yes, you get over here. Get over here. Like, come spend time with me, babe. Come spend time with me. And a lot of you always know, like, I'm a pretty good host. People were at our place. His friends were at our place. And they were all dudes. I don't give a fuck. You know what I mean? So I was, like, pouring shots, being a good host. And... Um, I think he might have caught one of his friends looking at my ass and just blamed it on me, you know, for the way that I was dressed. But anyway, um, we hurt each other really bad that evening. And, you know, it wasn't the first time we had an experience like this. And it was mostly just jealousy and things that we did to hurt one another that made him want to act like this and then made me want to act fucking stupid, you know? Um... And I said that I hated him for the longest time. And I thought by telling myself that I hated Sean, that I would just really believe it. I was really just trying to make myself believe it. But I learned that I don't have the pa- I don't have it in me to hate anybody. Because let me tell you why. Um, November 2020, COVID. Uh, I got all these messages. I think it was November 9th. I have to look again. I still have them. I got all of these messages. And um, they told me that, you know, Sean had passed. And I cried for like a whole fucking week. And I'm surprised that I'm not crying right now. Actually, I'm proud of myself that I'm not crying right now because I've cried so much for him. I cried so much for him and was grieving him for so long. And sometimes I still have my moments. Now I'm getting a little emotional. Fuck. But, you know, Sean and I had a lot of love for one another. I know that that's true, but... It was just so complicated, you know, like, fuck, he was 
going through some shit. You know, he also lost his father and there was a lot of loss that he experienced and a lot of love that he missed out on, I feel like, as a child from certain people in his life that um, I remember saying, like, oh, all he ever wanted was to be loved. And I, I, I do know that all he ever wanted was to be loved because I just felt it, you know. I felt because he just gave so much love to other people. And sometimes I didn't understand that because he didn't show it to me, you know. Like, it was it was really hard. Um, that I ended up like resenting him for it, you know, and, and then that's like when the cheating started to happen and the shadiness started to happen. You know, he worked in the entertainment industry a lot. He was like a really well-respected individual in the entertainment industry and the film industry. Um, and at the end of the day, Sean's death made me realize like, that I couldn't hate anybody, you know, no matter what, no matter what I felt, you know, there's always two sides of this. There's always these sides of the stories, right? Like I'm not perfect either. And now like the yesy now I'll admit to my faults before I was pointing the, I was playing like the blame game, you know, so there was a lot of growth that had come out of like this whole fucking incident that made me realize like, wow, how shitty was it for me to say that I hated him? How shitty was it for me to say, like, fuck him, like, he did this to me when I wasn't perfect? And I was just her, and I didn't, I didn't know before how to deal with my feelings versus now I've experienced therapy, I've experienced going to a healer um, that has really opened up my eyes to a lot of things and how to deal with things a little bit better than before, I guess his death hit me hard. I cried for a week. It was really a burden for my ex-boyfriend, Jonathan, who, uh, I was with at the time. He was wondering, just, he was a little bit jealous. I knew he was because Jonathan and I had couples counseling. And, um, I remember calling to our therapist that night, Ken, and, you know, crying to him and telling him the news that my ex-boyfriend just died. And, um, I was having trouble with my feelings and shit. And, uh, you know, Jonathan kept saying, like, oh, do you wish you were still with him? And la la la. Well, I'm like, even if I did, he's fucking gone. Like, which I didn't wish to get back with him. You know, Sean even had reached out to one of my best friends, Jade. And Jade messaged me one time. She's like, hey, um... Sean hit me up. He wants to talk to you. He asked if I can give you, you know, give him your number. And I said, no, like, what the fuck? Like, I have a family now, like, or so I thought at the time. But I was with a man who had three kids, and I was with him for at least two years at that time already, you know. And uh, I reached out personally to to Kaz Love, which was Sean Kaz. And I messaged him, and I told him, like, hey, um... I have a family now and I'm not interested in reconnecting. And this was like months before he overdosed. And, uh, he said, Oh, okay. Well, I wish you the best. Yes. 
He said, I thought we could have had a really good time together. I'm going up north. And, you know, I was like, no, like, I can't do this. You know, like, my last relationship, I never cheated on Jonathan. I was very loyal to him because I was prepared for that type of relationship. So I had to tell Sean, like, I was interested in speaking to Sean. I'm not going to lie. I was to see how he was, you know, part of me in my heart. I still missed him a little bit. There was like a lot of good, like, that came out of that relationship as bad as it was sometimes. Like, there was a lot of good that came out of it. And and that man, like, there were a lot of moments in life where he helped me. Like, he really did have my back, you know? Anyway, I lost my train of thought, but I have a lot of love for him. He he did bring a lot of uh, shit to the table, and he put me on to so many things and put me on to so many fucking opportunities. He did it for a lot of people that he loved and cared about, a lot of his friends, you know. But he was one of those people, too, where, like, because he was so loyal, he considered himself so loyal in all these things that he expected that from everybody. He had these really high expectations, you know, like you, you know, so he had a difficult like personality sometimes to deal with, but that motherfucker knew what he was doing. He was like, he was such a hustler, man. He, he was such a hustler. He taught me so much about the weed game. Um, uh, he was the reason I was able to travel so much, like, across the United States, fucking, with pounds and pounds of fucking weed. We would go to the fucking, like, East Coast in two days, I remember. We would drive his BMW, and we would trade off, like, I would drive for maybe 10, 12 hours, maybe 8 hours, and then he would, and we would never smoke in the car. We would, like, bring maybe a few joints and pack them up very tightly so the car didn't smell, and we would only smoke outside of the vehicle at, like, rest rest stops when we went pee or something, you know? And we always had a, we always had a game plan, you know? It was quite the fucking experience, but, um, man, that guy... He was always, like, well-welcomed by the Jamaicans, well-respected by the Jamaicans on the East Coast in Connecticut, where he was from. I remember they would be, like, some of the first people we would go to to try to, like, get rid of this shit. And um, he was just well-loved, like, well-liked by a lot of people, friends and business, you know? Tough personality, but well-respected. Um... And I just wish he didn't go out like that, you know? And that's a part of the reason I had to leave that relationship. That is a reason why I had to leave that relationship, to be honest with you. Because, I mean, I was I was getting into... I did get into pills, okay? I was into pills, but um, at one point he started doing, you know, cocaine more. And then I started doing it more, and then he was fucking like... 
you know, getting rid of that shit. Um, and it was just a bad environment and very toxic. And, you know, I just found myself getting deeper and deeper into a hole with him. And, you know, it just didn't make sense for me to stay in that relationship anymore. So I had to, I had to save myself. And sometimes I share with my friends, like, fuck, you know, if I, if I would have stayed in LA in that relationship, I probably would have been dead too, because I mean, he like, you know, what else would I have been doing? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but I'm here, you know, and thank God that I made the choice to get away from that. It was really hard, you know, um, to get out of that relationship, but I did it and I'm here. And, um, although him and I had a really troubled history, I do love him dearly. And I'll, uh, I always have a special place for him in my heart because I know that I knew his struggles. Um, I knew his struggles. I was with him for about five years also on and off. Um, I knew that guy very well and I, I just wish he didn't have to go like that because that guy had so much fucking potential. He was, he was like a fucking celebrity becoming a celebrity himself. And I feel like that's, it's kind of what he always wanted, you know? Um, but yeah, he taught me a lot. He, he was the reason I got to work for Stan Lee, the creator of Marvel comics. Um, that family, man, I worked for his daughter too, JC Lee, who, God damn it. I'm, these people, you would think sometimes, right? Like that people like millionaires, people with money that they have these happy lives, but they, they're just regular fucking people, everyday problem, even more problems. Cause they have more money than us, you know, and it was always about money, money, money. A lot of people would use this family. That family was abused by people who they thought they probably like cared about, you know, it's crazy. All the shit I got to see working for the uh, Lee family. Um, but you know, he brought me to, um, Coachella for the first time. And I remember I had an event here in Modesto. I called it Mochella and I was getting super emotional around that time because it just reminded me of Coachella and all the good times that I had with, uh, Sean at them really special times. He loved music. Like I discovered a lot of music because of him, you know, it's just things that stick with me till this day. You know, he's always going to be a part of my life one way or another. Um, but anyway, much love to him, much love to his family. He gave, uh, he had a little girl, um, you know, he had a little girl. I don't know how old she is now, but lo- sending lots of love to LA. Cause I know that his little baby and, um, his ex live out there. And I hope that they're okay. Um, But, you know, L.A., man, L.A. has introduced me to a lot of people. Um, A lot of these people, I've got to experience life with them. A lot of people, I've got to hear their stories. Um, You know, and I hate that it seems like I'm just talking about relationships right now because that's going to be a whole nother episode. But um, I, I mean, this is a part of my life in L.A., you know what I mean? And, you know, one of the relationships, unfortunately, got me into, you know, drugs a lot. And, um, 
You know, I know that when I said I moved to LA, I was popping a lot of pills and shit like that. I did ecstasy for the first time, but I'm talking about like prescription medication. This was like on another level, right? So, um, I started abusing that and I really didn't need to take them, but I don't know. I would just take them for fun. I'd be drinking a four loco with them bitches blocking out thinking that that shit was fun. And let me tell you, that shit is not fun. It's not fun. Not remembering. It's not fun. Like slurring your words on Xanax. Like it's crazy. My doctor, uh, in Westwood, I was a cash patient and you can literally tell this motherfucker anything and he would give you whatever prescription you wanted. And that's really what I did it for. I mean, I did it for, just to have them on deck and also to fucking sell them. I'm not going to lie. Like, you know? Um, and so when I say I did a lot of things, like I did a lot of things in LA, you know, I wasn't a prostitute or anything like that, but I was doing a lot of sketchy things sometimes, you know? And, um, I was just in a different headspace and a different mindset surrounded by different people. You know, I'm definitely not the person I used to be. And I think that, a lot of us, you know, everybody has a past or maybe some people, they just don't, you know, they don't have kind of like a crazy history like me and that's fine. They probably had a better childhood than me too. And, um, you know, maybe they just had a better upbringing and didn't have to deal with crazy shit in life, you know? Um, but I, rem- I mean, I put myself in some fucking crazy situations. Um, I remember one time Sean and I, I'll never fucking forget it. Uh, we lived over there off of by Griffith off of like close to Western like Franklin let's say and we was like oh my god we had we went off we were off a pill and I had this like little BMX bike at the time that had pegs so you can like stand on the little pegs at the back and we walked up with our little bike or my little bike up this fucking hill like probably three in the morning right and I've, I've told this story to a lot of people that I know that I was chased by a coyote. Him and I were chased by a coyote. <laughs> this is what happens when you fucking build houses in the nature, like these hills, you know, they belong to the wildlife. It's crazy. And then we wonder like, oh my God, there was a fucking coyote. Like, I'm so surprised. Like, no, bitch, this is their home. Um, but anyway, we got to the top of the hill and then we're like, dude, let's fucking go down. Like, you know, like, all right, cool. So Sean was like the one riding the bike. And then I got on the pegs, but I'm like, before we went down, I'm like, babe, there's a fucking coyote right there. Like there was a big like aloe or fucking agave plant. Right. And I just saw these two fucking like gleaming eyes poking. He's like, I don't see shit. And I'm like, you see those fucking eyes? They're like glowing. He's like, I don't see anything. Just get on the bike. I'm like, okay, fine. Oh man. Like as soon as we start going down the fucking hill, this fucking coyote goes, <laughs> He comes out of the fucking bush and I'm like, oh my God, I think we were on Beachwood Canyon. Honestly, I think we were on Beachwood Canyon or Wilton. No, we were on Wilton. Maybe. I don't fucking know. We were on Wilton. We were on Wilton. Okay. So we were on Wilton, like up in the neighborhood, right? Off of Franklin where the houses are. And, um, we go downhill, the coyote comes out. Luckily, like we passed Franklin, there's a green light because this coyote, he was fucking going. This motherfucker was hungry. Like I was standing, I was looking back. I'm like, oh my God, 
there's really a fucking coyote chasing me. Oh my God. I I was ready to fucking die and get attacked by a coyote and get rabies or God knows what. I look back. He was about five feet away from me running as fast as he could. I'm like, Sean, I'm going as fast as I could. I'm like, go faster. Okay. So we pass, we're on Wilton. We passed Franklin. We passed Franklin. Go, 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 go. And now we passed Hollywood Boulevard again. Luckily it was all green lights and we made it to, there was like a, um, a mobile Exxon station on the corner of, um, like Wilton and that area, wherever there was a fucking gas station there. And we go to the gas station. The coyote is standing in the middle of the fucking intersection on Wilton and, um, on Wilton and Hollywood. And we look back and he just like looks at us and he walks away and we're like, fuck, you know what I mean? Like, luckily, like he didn't come towards us anymore. Like we were just in panic mode. And at the time we lived up the street on Gramercy. Yeah. Franklin and Gramercy area. And, um, we go back to his place. We go upstairs. We're chilling on the balcony, smoking a cigarette. We left the bike downstairs where we could still see it. Tell me why the fucking coyote found us, man. The fucking coyote found us. He went to my bike and he started sniffing it. And then we were like, Oh my God, we got a bottle and like, we threw a bottle at it. You know what I mean? And, um, he ran off, but I'm like, what? Like we, it's been like 10 minutes past. We walked our little asses home from the gas station. I don't know how the coyote ended up finding us, but he found us. And that shit is one of the craziest things, experiences that has happened to me in LA. One of them. <laughs> Cause we need like five more episodes to talk about all this shit. Um, but yeah, that was fucking crazy. But you know, honestly, like after, I got out of that, out of that relationship. I was kind of just doing my own thing. I mean, before that I did all kinds of other things. I kind of skipped through all kinds of shit. You know what I mean? But, um, I worked in the performing arts Academy. I was a fucking property manager out there. I worked for a few different CEOs. I was fucking trap kitchen over here, like literally trap kitchen selling edibles. My friend Sahara, Sahara, you already know, baby girl, like Sahara is a fucking OG, triple motherfucking OG. Okay. She's a realtor also in Los Angeles. So if you're looking for a fucking home, that's your girl. But Sahara is, man, that's my man. That is my girl. And this is what I'm saying. Like sometimes it's, I love the fact that I've grown so much because Sahara, she was one person that I was holding a nasty grudge towards. I, you know, like, again, we're not perfect, but she had pissed me off so much that I quit talking to her and I cut her off and we yelled at each other so nasty, you know, and I'm going to bring her on the show one day. And we're going to talk about shit because she is a big part of my life. But, um, Sahara is my ride or fucking die. Sahara has been through some shit with me too. And, um, man, you know, uh, I can't wait to see her. I hopefully get to see her this week, to be honest with you. Um, but anyway, I forgot where I was going to fuck. This is what happened. I did smoke a little weed actually. I was going to say, Oh, I didn't even smoke. (laughs) Uh, oh, this is where I was going to get at with Sahara and how and why I love growth and whatever and who I am now is because I want to say, and I'll have to ask her again, but I'm, I may be wrong like two years ago or not that long ago. 
I had reached out to her. I don't know, like Sahara would still kind of like be cool with me, but I felt weird in some type of way with her. And I don't even think we followed each other for a long time. That's how upset I was with her over some dumb fucking petty shit. Okay. Um, not worth losing a friend over, but I reached out to her and I felt like we had this conversation of like, you know what? Like, I'm sorry. We let it go there. You know, like sometimes we cut people off and maybe that loving from a distance is fine or just like cutting the motherfuckers off and maybe not loving them at a distance, just forgetting about them for a little bit, but through life and thinking and reflecting and understanding now that, Hey, like I was probably to blame for certain situations or maybe I was a little rough. Maybe I'm not always right. Right. Yeah. A bitch wishes she was always right. But I remember talking to her and be like, you know, apologizing about just being the way that I may have reacted to things and maybe, you know, um, just cut her off too. And it wasn't right. And we worked it out and we're friends again. And I'm really happy that she's my friend because although we had our rough moments, Sahara's always had a great heart and she's just, there's no one out there like that girl, you know? And, um, Sahara and I have a story to tell you one day, man, this girl, is a down ass bitch, but I remember trap kitchen. That's why I was talking about trap kitchen. So, um, I was, uh, Sahara's roommate for a little bit in LA and this is what it was like close to Washington and La Brea at the time. I think it was orange where we lived. And, um, what is it? She, okay. So she's from LA So she knew a lot of people from there. Again, I wasn't from LA, but I knew how to, I was learning how to bake can, you know, with cannabis and doing edibles and shit. It was back when I used to use like butter. Now I only use coconut oil, but anyways, I would cook like peanut butter cookies and I would probably sell them for like a few bucks each. Um, but anyway, you know, we was trapping and we was making a lot of sales at some points, you know what I mean? And like, um, she was helping me with sales. We made a little extra cash. Um, but she really brought me customers, you know, like she really brought some of the fucking customers, OGs in that were fucking with my edibles. And this was like close to 2015 around there. Um, and at one point, even I remember I invested in like waist trainers. Um, there's still a page out there floating around called love my waist official. (laughs) And when Kim Kardashian, uh, came out with waist trainers and they were like trendy as fuck, I bought all kinds of them and I was selling them out of the trunk of my car. I was selling them to friends. I was selling, even Sahara bought one off of me. Like I fucking gave her a discount though. She's like, Oh, you know, um, can I get one? I'm like, yeah, you know, you're going to get a discount because you're my fucking girl. And she was, she just helped me a lot anyway, but I was selling them for, I think like 75, 2015, I was selling waist trainers for like 75, you know, dollars around there. And, um, I remember we went to the Culver city stairs one time and this girl's like, Oh my God. Like, you know, are where did you get that? I'm a bitch. I sell them. What's popping? You want one? I got them in my trunk. What's up? You know, like that was just how, that's how kind of have I always been. I've always been a hustler. Um, but you know, it was just brought up to another level when I moved to LA. Like I've always been this type of person, always had this type of personality. I've always known how to talk to people, no matter what environment I'm in. You know what I mean? I could talk to you this way. I could talk to you that way. I can talk to fucking anybody. You know what I mean? Put me in a room with anybody. We got it. Because at the end of the day, like 
people just attract, you know, were attracted to me and like my personality. And that's great. It's one thing that's definitely worked for me, um, in business is people just liking and fucking with me because of who I am. But I was like, yeah, bitch, I fucking got you. What's up, honey? You want the lime green? You want the fucking magenta? You want the black one? They got the three, the three, uh, the three clips, you know what I mean? The Colombian waist trainers. Okay. Um, but that was real shit. I did all kinds of shit, you know? Um, I worked a lot of trade shows, porn conventions. That's where I met Marie from 818 Pop-Up Shop. You're going to meet her one day too. But a lot of you guys that follow me on Instagram have met her, I feel like, in the past and have seen a lot of her. But if you don't follow her, it's 818 underscore pop-up shop. This woman put me on into the pop-up game. Um, I have made it known like several times and I let people know like when I talk about how I started pop-ups and who inspired me. It was Marie from the 818, 818 V shout out. Um, but that's my girl. And, you know, I don't have too many friends. I feel like I do have a nice solid amount of friends. Like I, I definitely have at least like under 10 solid friends, Jade and Marie being one of them. You know what I mean? For sure. Um, for sure, for sure, for sure. In Sahara, you know what I mean? Like, these motherfuckers, I fucking love you so much. Like my time in SoCal would have never been the same without you guys. And Jade, whom I met in, uh, who I met in the desert. I remember we went to Copper Mountain College. (laughs) We went to college in the desert together and, um, we worked at the grocery store together. You guys, I worked at a grocery store called Stater Brothers. Fuck. That shit was rough. We had to fucking go collect carts in the fucking heat go collect carts in the fucking snow and the cold. Like what the fuck is going on here? But Hey, I'm doing this for love, right? Because I'm following somebody in the military. Oh my God. But Jade and then Jade, I found out she smoked weed. We used to go to school together. She's like, do you smoke? And I'm like, yes, bitch. What the thought you'd never ask shit. But I love Jade. My God, my little green loving baby. Um, Sahara, Jesus. We all have some stories to tell. I can't wait to talk about LA more with you guys and, you know, get to share more stories with some of my bestest friends in the whole fucking world. Like, you know, and I don't have that many great friends and I am developing a lot of new friendships here in the Central Valley, you know, very few, but very good quality ones that I'm really excited to see where they go. Um, Because I feel like right now I'm surrounded by a lot of powerful women but it's also very hard for me to trust, you know, just people coming in my life right now because I'm just, you know, I think everybody has trust issues and, you know, we just pay attention to them, their actions, how they move. And then you'll learn, you know, if you want to fuck with them or not. Um, one thing I did learn though is, uh, recently I heard a quote. I don't know who said it. It might've been a fucking real to be honest with you, because I'd be watching hella reels, but someone said, tell a person no, tell a friend no, and you're going to see like what happens pretty much like tell a person no, and you'll know who your enemies are. There we go. Tell a friend no, and then find out who your enemies are. Let me tell you, that's another story because I've experienced that too during COVID. I said no to a friend. I started to set boundaries once I became sober Um, I started seeing life differently and I started, I started treating people differently too. I'm not going to lie. Not that I treated them in a bad way, 
But now I have different boundaries. I have higher expectations. You know, I don't like to be around bullshit and shit like that. And anyway, people bullshitting me and thinking that they can get away with it because they're my friend and la 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 la. But anyway, that's another topic. That's another fucking show conversation. But Los Angeles, man, thank you. Thank you, Los Angeles. I was lost there for so long, but without losing it sometimes, like how are you supposed to really find who you are? without losing control because then that's how you discover like what type of fucking person you are right and like wow you're able to overcome these fucking obstacles in life and still you know be a decent fucking human being and not be the same person as before I have intentions now you know I have a purpose now like I'm very intentional these days and I just live my life a lot differently and um I appreciate you all for listening in. I appreciate all of the love that we got for the first episode of the yesy.com podcast. I'm excited to see what y'all's feedback is for this episode. Um, we just launched on Apple now, so you can listen to us on Apple, Anchor, and Spotify. Um, it was pending for a little bit. I don't know. I had a little bit of trouble with Apple, but now we in this bitch. Um, But yeah, no, I really do appreciate you guys listening in. I mean, this is my life. I record all this shit on my phone. Like, I bought all this, like, fucking, you know, equipment a long time ago, thinking that I'm going to use it. I haven't used the fancy microphone, not once. Like, literally, if you want to do something, just fucking do it. There's always a way. I record this shit on my phone, and it distributes to all these other fucking Spotify, la, 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 Apple. You could literally do anything, whatever you want. Um, don't let anybody hold you back. Literally, the only person holding you back is you. And I've discovered that. I discovered that. You can't blame anybody but yourself, you know? Um, but yeah, I know. The support that I've been getting, I love it. I mean, this is raw fucking footage here. Um, I don't do any edits because, you know, what I shared on my trailer or... What I share in the caption or bio is that this is like real shit. You know, this is a place where real people talk about real shit and there's enough fake shit out there. And even on social media, I try to share some of my worst moments also, some of my painful moments also, because it's relatable. You know, like I'm not perfect and I hate to seem like you know, I hate to try to act that way. I remember I used to try to conform and contour into someone that I was not, and it didn't work for me. And so honestly, ever since I started letting go and just being more comfortable with myself and not giving a fuck about the right things and people's opinions, like that's when I started to attract motherfuckers in my life, like better people, real people, you know? So, um, don't ever change who you are. There have been people who have made fun of me for being too positive, but I'm like, bitch, if you only knew all the fucking horrible shit people put me through, I put myself through even to get to this point to where I am now, almost three years sober, fucking have gone to therapy, have gone to healing. I still need to put in work because there's always going to be troubles that we go through. There's always going to be traumas. It never stops. It never stops. It's like, it's like it, it never ends. You know, once you try to heal from one thing, something else happens, you know, and then I'm like, fuck, do we ever heal from things, by the way? Like, I want to know. Or do we learn how to cope with things better in life? 
Do we learn how to cope and navigate through life a little bit better? You know, is there anything such as like, does anything exist such as healing? Like, does that really exist? Healing, being healed completely. I don't know. That's another topic too. Now I'm just like going off on a rant, but you feel me. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of the yesy.com podcast. This was season one, episode two, Los Angeles. Just a little fucking hint of my life in LA and things that I've gone through. And I encourage you all send in any questions you may have, any suggestions, any topics that you want me to share, send it in. That's what this is all about is sharing. Sharing is caring. I love you all so much. I hope you have a beautiful day, whatever it is that you do. Don't forget to tell people that you fucking love them. Life is too short. Don't take this shit for granted. Bye.